of Saturday night at eight o'clock. I know where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pick my baby up and take her to the picture show. Everybody in the neighborhood is dressing up to be there too. Hi, welcome to the Juno Files. I'm Jim Juno, and this is where we talk about movies, television, Hollywood, and anything in between. And if you like what you're watching, please click the subscribe button on YouTube. And I have with me today a very special guest. If you watched TV during the 70s and early 80s and even beyond, you probably saw this person on a weekly basis on NBC, on Little House on the Prairie, Karen Grassley. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much. You have a you're welcome. And you have a new book out called Bright Lights, Prairie Dust, and it's your life story. And a lot of it has to do with your time on Little House. Uh But it also is a story I consider a story of triumph. You you faced some big challenges in your life. And I really admire you. uh, You and you you don't shy away in the book. You uh, you talk openly about. Uh, your alcoholism, you know, um, the way they treated you at NBC for, well, we'll get into all that in just a moment and stuff, but was this book, a, was it a cathartic experience or was it, was it hard to write? Well, there have been a lot of ups and downs where uh, I started writing out of pure pleasure when these memories started to come to me very strongly and I thought, I've got to get this down. Uh, if no one else is interested, at least for my son. And then as time went by, I got very interested in the whole process of memoir. I took classes. Uh, We formed a writer's circle where we have written together every week and supported each other's writing and given each other constructive criticism. And it's just been amazing, really. I never could have done this if I'd been totally on my own because, you know, you're just sitting there, you're writing, you're going, is this anything? Maybe not. You know, is this boring? I think so. You know, mm. but when you have other people to say, ah, I, th- I like that part, I, I think you should head in that direction, then it's very helpful. Well, I tell you what, I mean, you start out right away, you discuss um, coming back um you, you didn't know where you were coming back from. Was it Kansas City or St. Louis or something like that on a plane? And then you realize, uh, you know, you've had you've, you've had something to drink. Oh. Uh, you meet a guy and then but luckily you, you I guess you want to say come to your senses when you get off yeah. the plane. You know, <laughs> and because, um, you know, it really, that really I mean, that's that gets the ball rolling right there. I was like, my goodness. Yeah, well, I wanted people to know from the beginning. If you're looking for nice, soft stories like Little House on the Prairie, this is not your book. And if you're interested in the real life of Karen Grassley, then this is going to occur. So I thought better to get it out there right away so people know what they're getting into and then they can choose. Yes, I want to go forward or no, I don't. (laughs) I definitely wanted to go forward on it. I'll be honest with you. And uh, it, it just amazes me that, I mean, I love, I love reading books that pull the curtain back from, mm-hmm. from what we see on TV. 
And, you know, and a lot of people don't, uh, for want of a better term, a lot of people don't like to watch the sausage being made. They want to believe in the, in the hero that they see on the screen so much, but this was really an honest book. I really enjoyed it. I think it's very interesting to go on where the set is being built, see how Mike is viewing the various uh, parts of the show, see it built, you know, from the ground up. And I think it's fun to meet the actors who played these iconic roles, most of whom are gone now. You know, the children are here, but Mm -hmm. most of those supporting players, they're gone. And so I think it's fun for the reader to visit with them and see how they had lunch in the barn with all the cow dung around and how we had the flies that we were trying to get rid of while we ate lunch. And, you know, I like all that backstage stuff. Mm-hmm. You're, you were <clears throat> not a, you're a city girl though. I'm well, by nature, you you did not grow up on a farm. Yeah. Uh, and now you had, but you was that an adjustment though? Being a star of a of a rural show like that, you mentioned like eating with the cows and stuff. <laughs> well, I actually <laughs> loved that. I loved that we got to work outside and out in nature. And from the very first day when we were up in Sonora, way up high in the mountains of the gold country of California, when the snow was heavy on the trees, it was so atmospheric, you know, so it really fed you. And I liked it when they taught me how to milk a cow. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, you know, I liked it when they showed me how to spin wool. I got a kick out of all that. You, uh, I'm now. I remember watching the Johnny Carson show with Michael when he came, when Michael Landon came on. Um, back when the show was going to premiere, Little House was going to premiere, and he brought along film clips. So I don't know if you remember this or not, but it wasn't exactly the most serious, no. most serious uh, film clip. <laughs> and um, but it just it it looked like y'all were having a lot of fun during that that first season. Mike loved to make a special outtakes. He and the boys on Bonanza had gotten in the habit of doing that, I think, to entertain themselves and to entertain the guys in post-production. So he would do things like be holding the baby and they'd say, cut, and then he'd throw the baby up in the air, (laughs) you know, because it, it had a surprise effect and then everybody would crack up. So he had a lot of those outtakes and they were very useful for him when he went on Carson. That's true. And now you tell me how you landed that job, how you landed that, that role of Ma. Cause I mean, I'm in Richmond, Virginia, and this is where Laura Ingalls uh, even have streets named after them mm. in Richmond. So they're, I guess they're from Virginia. I'm, I'm a transplant from Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, I lived in Louisville. I know you were at Actor Theater. Yeah. And well, I think the uh, man who inherited the rights to the books was the adopted nephew of Rose Wilder. 
And that's the, the, the Virginia connection. Uh, I don't think Laura actually ever lived in Virginia. Okay. But you became, you became almost an expert on her life or her writings rather. Well, I wouldn't say that, but mm -hmm. you know, since we made the series, there's been a lot more information come out about the family. And I particularly like the book Prairie Fires, uh, the biography of Laura Ingalls Wilder, that really gets under the story and really lays out the history. I'd recommend that to anybody who likes the series. And <clears throat> for me, I had just come out from California. I was going to do an independent motion picture and the darn thing fell through. And there I was, I was stranded. I was broke after a year of doing Shakespeare in England and uh, the movie fell through and I was sleeping on my parents' couch. And I was like, this is no good. I think I better go back to school find a way to earn a living here. And then I got the call to go meet Michael Landon on a show called Little House on the Prairie. Never heard of it. Never had read a single book by Laura Ingalls Wilder. But I figured that the show was probably very similar to the Waltons. So I listened to the Waltons. I say listened because the TV I had, we had no cable and it was just snow. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was just listening to the show to sort of the, I, I I get the idea of it, you know, the tone. That's like that's like the way I was growing up. We didn't have cable, but kids nowadays they go, How do you survive with just three three channels? I said three if you're lucky. Uh we had two channels mostly. Yeah. But then so you got the job, you got the you know, you got the job at the show has become wasn't it it was an instant hit almost. Yes. And oh, then overnight. overnight. And then, but still, uh, well, Michael Landon was the star. He got, he got paid. Well, well certainly he was the producer. Yeah. He was one of the reasons that the show got made at all was having him attached to it. So he was the guy. But, but after that though, and most and fair and I would think fairly that you you went and said, look, I'm, I'd like to I can't live on what you're paying me. You have one car, as I remember correctly, in the books. Um, you're you're I think you're you want to buy a house, don't you? Well, here's the situation. When I signed my when I got the job, I remember this so clearly. I was on a pay phone with my agent and he was saying you're going to be paid this much at the beginning, and then this much the second year, and this much the third year, and on to seven years, I was going to sign my life away. Mm -hmm. And I said, but that's not what people get paid. I know what people get paid. And he said, oh, don't worry about that. If the show is a hit, that contract gets completely renegotiated. So it was my expectation that at the beginning of the second season, all of that would be rewritten. And they didn't want to do that. Mike didn't want to. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. He even said that the, the mall character wasn't, wasn't likable. Is that, said, I find that hard to they, believe. I mean, they said, he said, they've done testing. 
and your character is not the most popular, so they don't want to give you a raise. Uh, or he said, um, uh, you should have parity with the girls. With the children? Yeah. <laughs> and I had brought with me, you know, experience of training in London, being on Broadway, yeah. being in New York Shakespeare in the park. And I brought with me this real affection for the children, which you don't find that everywhere. So I really found that insulting that he said. I would too. I would too. And, you know, and what, what really astounded me was that he seemed to, his personality seemed to have changed. Well, he was one of those people hmm, who could be very different on different days. And that was true throughout. And I think everyone would agree to that. Almost and like I, a, almost like a bipolar person. Well, I don't know. Uh, I couldn't, I could not tell you a diagnosis, but I know with my own growing up, my dad was alcoholic and he could change personalities when he was drinking and be very mean and cold. But eventually before Michael Landon passed away, we are able to settle your differences. It was so great. I wrote to him when I was living out of state just to tell him what I was up to. And he wrote back the nicest note and said, give me a call so we can cut, so we can talk over old times before we both forget them. So I called him and he told me about his new young family. And we talked about Victor French who had died recently, also alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just a warm, friendly conversation of two colleagues who had worked together well, you know, for the first year, it, we worked together so well, and we enjoyed each other's creativity so much. And so it, it had been a shame that there had been this falling out. And even though my contract got settled, Mike seemed to kind of harbor a resentment against me for winning. So I was very relieved that we had this nice visit and that I didn't have any stinging feeling or hostile feeling toward him or from him before he got diagnosed. Mm. That's, that's wonderful. That's, now let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, you uh, how, hard, how hard was it? And being a child of an alcoholic myself, I'm going to, uh, that's the one, we'll talk off off camera for that, okay. But how hard was it for you to give up drinking? Well, it, it seemed to be impossible. I tried to give up drinking over and over, and I, I couldn't do it. it. It just seemed impossible. There was always some reason why I picked up again. And then I had a series of events pile on. One was I embarrassed myself at an event where I was the public speaker. Mm -hmm. One was my very oldest and best friend telling me, Karen, you're an alcoholic and you've got to do something about it. One was my boyfriend saying, you know, when I'm home with you, 
I have this knot in my gut. So everything was piling on. And after all that, I still had one more really bad night where I drank too much. I fought with a dear old friend. I went home crying and feeling sorry for myself and everything in the world was wrong. And the next morning when I woke up, I had this clarity that I must never drink again. And I never did. I became willing to look for help. I got help and I continue to have a supportive program that keeps me, oh, not just sober, but I have a whole new life, you know, based on a spiritual experience and based on being more concerned about others than about myself and so on. That was something which I also wanted to talk about is that you not once you uh, once you uh, became sober, you turned to helping people. Mm. And that seemed to me from reading your book, it seemed to give you great satisfaction. Well, I know even my dad, when he was still drinking, he loved to reach out a hand to other people. And when my friend and I were writing our uh, movie about battered wives, you know, that was very rewarding because even though the work was hard and even though we ran into some real roadblocks with our gentleman uh, producer, mm -hmm. um, we felt like we were doing something to make the world a better place. Well, <laughs> has Hollywood in its treatment of women, has it improved since the days that you went through? Well, when I think about it now, since the hashtag Me Too movement, mm -hmm. certainly the kinds of jokes that Mike told in the bedroom of the little house, that could not happen now. Uh, I believe that enough men have been brought to account and lost their jobs and even gone to jail so that many men experience that this is a risk they may not want to take. Tell me what you're working on now. What's, what's the future hold for Karen Grassley? Well, I'm going to be 80 on my next birthday. All right. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And I have some ideas about some stories that are, uh, well, it's what you like. It's behind the scenes, backstage show business stories. And I thought it would be fun to do those in a fictionalized version so I don't have to worry so much about everybody's reputation. <laughs> <laughs> that, that uh, you know, I wasn't going to ask this question, because, but we just, just jogged my memory. Were you worried about people's reputation in this book? Well, and, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, you know, I had to tell my story and it took me years to get down to it writing privately here in the house, sharing with my women friends. That was one thing. But knowing that there would be readers, uh, strangers, people I didn't know, I'm, I tend to be a private person. Mm -hmm. And I have really broken through that now. I mean, here it is. This is what it was. This is my story. So if you're going to tell it, you got to tell it. Right. Exactly. 
Well, Karen Grassley, I appreciate you taking time tonight and talking with me. The book is Bright Lights, Prairie Dust. And of course, Karen Grassley, thank you for being on the Juno Files tonight. Oh, Jim, it was a pleasure. Well, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to pick my baby up and take her to the picture show. Everybody in the neighborhood is dressing up to 